see each one of you this morning. We're so thankful to be here with you to worship, to study the Word of God, to uh, seek to glorify our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I was thinking when I pulled up in the parking lot, I used to camp, come here, you know, quite frequently. I think it's been six and a half years. Uh, life's just had us busy and going here and there. And so October of 2016, may have been 2017, but I think 2016, we did the Reformation celebration, the history of Martin Luther. And that's been six years ago that we did that. And, uh, and then I got to thinking not only about my last visit here, but about the first visit that I made here it was in the year 2000. 23 years ago, uh, my son had just been born at the time. He was a newborn, and Bruce asked me to come and preach, and that has now been 23 years ago, still in the other building at the time, and then Michelle and I came here later when y'all were building this building, and I think we wrote some verses on the, the stud walls as the building was going up, so uh, seen a lot of wonderful changes at Maranatha, a lot of growth, and I look out there and I see so many of you that I, I know from years past. And a lot of new faces that I don't know, but uh, I love your church. Thank God for the people that are here. And it just reminds me of how time flies. And speaking of that, I'd better get to our verse. So if you would turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to read here uh, something about time and about how time flies and what we're to do in response to that. Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to read verses 14 through 20, and then we're going to focus specifically on one verse that I'll point out to you. So if you would begin with me in Ephesians 5, verse 14 through 20, it says, Wherefore he saith, Paul saying this, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And now I want to hone in, if you would look with me to verse 16, where Paul writes, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And I believe that is a message for us at all times. It is a message that is very relevant to us this morning. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask that he would impress this truth upon our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and we are truly grateful to gather together in this place and worship you and, and pray and seek your face and to hear your word. Father, we thank you that you are the one true living God, that you have power today that is, is available to us to operate effectually in our lives. We pray that your word would find place in our heart this morning, that you would open our hearts to see wonderful things out of your word, that you would help us to highly regard the truth of your word to be moved by the power of the truth. We pray, Lord, that we put it into practice in our lives. And we thank you this morning for Jesus Christ, our redeeming Savior, who has bought us back from our sin and our sinful estate and granted us a place in heaven by his grace alone. We thank you in Jesus' name. We pray 
Amen. Amen. So redeeming the time because the days are evil. Somebody outlined the book of Ephesians once as sit, walk, stand. And I find that to actually be a very significant, very powerful outline of the book of Ephesians. Sit, walk, stand. We come to faith in Christ and we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We rest in him. Our righteousness is in him. We are saved by the grace of God. Sit, trust, and then walk. So we sit, walk, stand. And the book of Ephesians talks about our walk. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And the Bible talks about how we walk in those good works. And then sit, walk, stand. The, the book of Ephesians ends with having done all to stand. Stand therefore. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And so we uh, put all of those things into practice. Sit, walk, stand. Not only summarizes the book of Ephesians, but also summarizes something about our Christian life. And we're in the walk phase of Ephesians this morning. And we read, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So Paul reminds us here of the evil of the days. And it's always true. In fact, the Bible tells us that Christ has delivered us from this present evil age. The age around us is evil. It is a time in which, and the Bible is very clear about this, that Satan is the God of this world. It is an evil time, and it's always been so. John chapter 16, verse 33 says, uh, Jesus said, In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. We are to expect a time of tribulation in this life. The times have always been evil, but sometimes they are conspicuously so. And we look in America, and America's had its good days, it's had its bad days, but it's always been an evil time in which we live. But we can say that it is conspicuously so today, and certainly relevant to our time, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And so he tells us about the days, and then he tells us about the value of time. And we as Christians ought to understand the value of our time. If we're going to glorify God, it has to be done in time. If we're going to serve God, it has to be done with our time. Uh, somebody said one time that t time is the stuff life is made of. And if your life is going to make an impact in the kingdom of God, it is going to require us redeeming the time. And so we think about the value of our time. And we need to understand that we are responsible for our time. And the word stewardship comes to mind. That we are to steward the things God's given us. It doesn't belong to us, it's His. We belong to Him. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God. Our time belongs to God. And we're responsible for how we use our time. Back 20, 24 years ago, I heard a sermon, and a guy preached a simple sermon on stewardship. And he said, There's four things you need to be a good steward of. Your talents. God's given you certain talents and you need to be a steward of those and use them for the glory of God. And, and all of us this morning have talents. And God wants, to, wants us to employ those in the world around us, serving others in the church, uh, leading others to see the glory of Christ. We're to be a good steward of our talents. We're also to be a good steward of our tithe, 
of, of the financial things God's given us and blessed us with and how we handle those and giving a certain portion of that to the Lord and to His work so we are to steward our talent and our time. We're also to be good stewards of our testimony. Every one of us as believers in Christ have a testimony about what God has done in our life, about how God has saved us, about what we were and how God intervened in our life and how we were saved by the grace of God in trusting Jesus Christ and then what God's doing in our life now. We are to be living testimonies to the glory and the grace of God and we have to steward that testimony and take care of it. You hear people talk about ruining their testimony. We don't want to do that. It's possible to do that, and we don't want to do that. We want to honor the family name. So we need to steward our talent and our tithe and our testimony, but we also need to be good stewards of our time. Time is one of the most valuable things God has given us, and there's no time to serve God except time. There's no place to glorify God except in time. And so we need to use that time. And the Bible uses a very specific phrase here, redeeming the time because the days are evil. What does it mean to redeem? It means to buy it back. So Paul relates the, the darkness of the time to the, to the value of us redeeming the time. And he's saying that we need to buy it back. So much of it has been sold. So much of it has been controlled. So much of it is being used for that only, which is earthbound. And you know it's true in your own life. You look around, so much time is flying and so much is being used just trying to get by. And the world is using their time to magnify themselves and to degrade the truth of God. And we need to get a hold of some of that time in our own life and use time to glorify God. It is flying by us and we have to buy it back. And the idea of buying reminds us of cost involved. We have to sacrifice in order to serve God. We have to say, you know, I'd rather, I might rather in the flesh do this thing over here but I need to glorify God. I need to use my time to serve God and to magnify God, to get out the truth of God's Word, to learn the truth of God's Word. We have to redeem the time because the days are evil. Now let me tell you how we're not going to do that. <coughs> we're not going to redeem the time by scrolling more on Facebook, finding out what somebody had for supper last night. You know, that's kind of the thing, I guess. Post what you ate. and We're not going to redeem the time by scrolling more on Facebook. We're not going to redeem the time by scrolling more on Twitter, trying to become geniuses with 280 characters or less. Not going to happen. We're not going to become... We're not going to redeem the time and become more Christ-like by spending more time on TikTok. I heard they're talking about making TikTok illegal... And I heard that like the collective IQ of America went up by 20 points just at the mention of making TikTok illegal. Now that's not true. But you get the point. We're not going to redeem the time by looking at more memes. You know, I had a professor tell me recently that he had to cut the test that he gave in half because young people were no longer able to follow a train of thought in depth for a long period of time and they couldn't complete the test that he would have given 15 years ago, unable to be completed now. And he had to cut the test in half for class because of people becoming so accustomed to flipping through memes. It's like sitting around eating chocolate all day long 
And we're not going to redeem the time in that way. And then we have all of our streaming services. You know, you've got um, Amazon Prime, YouTube TV, Apple TV, Netflix, Hulu, Discover Channel, Disney Plus. You have all the streaming services. And I, I remember a time when three channels was too much. And the preachers were all up in arms about the danger of TV. You remember that? It's, it's just, it's taking away from family time. Three channels, dialing for dollars at lunch and 5.30 weather and 6 o'clock news and maybe some little sitcom and, and the preachers were all up in arms that it's, it's taking away our time from serving the Lord. It's taking away our time from families. And they were right. And they were only then fighting three channels. And now we have all this other stuff. Speaking of social media technology, did you know I heard a study the other day that the average 18-year-old spends eight and a half hours a day on social media? Eight and a half hours a day on social media. Paul writes to us and says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And I could go on and on with the ways we're not going to do it. And I could get into listing just a few practical ways we can redeem the time. But I want to sit this verse, I want to take this verse and place it in the larger context of the book of, of Ephesians. As I begin to look at this verse, I begin to think about all that Ephesians says about time and, and, and speaks indirectly or directly about time. And I wanted to sit this verse in context. And so let's do that. And that's going to be the body of the sermon this morning. You say, wait a second, Kevin, wasn't that the sermon that you just preached? That was the introduction to the sermon that I plan to preach. So I want you to back up to Ephesians chapter 1 as we go about the business of trying to sit, trying to place this verse in context. And I want to talk first of all how Ephesians tells us what God did for us before time. Before time ever even started, what God did for us, you know, God created time. God's outside of time. He's in and through time, but he's outside of time. He transcends it. And before time, God did some things. And the first, of thing, first thing I want you to notice is that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Look at verse 4. It says, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And this reminds us of God's sweeping plan of redemption. And it reminds us that our story is not one of yesterday. We're not just here uh, yesterday and here today and, and accidentally cropped up in time. God had a plan. We are not here on accident. And we could go in great depth about God choosing us and Him from before the foundation of the world. But I just want to remind you this morning that the history of redemption is not a whim. There was a plan in place. That plan involved the Savior. We're chosen in Him. It involved the people. We are chosen in Him. Salvation is not something that man devised, designed, or deserved. It is completely by the grace of God, by the planning of God. God is not responding in time to some disaster. God planned it all beforehand. It is not something God recently set upon, but it's been the plan forever. Somebody said one time, 
Long before there was a cross on the hill of Calvary, there was a cross in the heart of God. God had a plan. And then I want you to notice the second thing is that we read in verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So not only did God choose us in him, but those who were chosen were, were, were appointed to be adopted into the family of God. What an amazing plan. God didn't just plan to bring a multitude to glory through Christ. He didn't just have a plan, but God also planned for those who were justified and saved by the grace of God to be adopted into the family of God as children. What an amazing, blessed plan. What a vast, sweeping plan. And God did all of this, look at verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace. All of this was planned, appointed, designed, set upon for the praise of the glory of His grace. So our existence today is not accidental. Our existence as believers, our existence as a church, as the body of Christ, is part of the plan of God, and it is not inconsequential. You know the things in your life that don't matter much. You don't put a lot of time in planning it, do you? You don't put a lot of forethought into it. But the things that are really important, you put a lot of time into planning it. You put a lot of forethought into making sure it is carried out. And God planned all of this so that today we would be alive now, serving Him, loving Him, praising Him. God has appointed these things to be so for the praise of His glory. And this lifts the events of time to an entire new level and gives us an eternal perspective on our time today. It's part of the ultimate plan of God. So that today is not just January 22nd, 2023. Tomorrow is not just January 23rd, 2023. But it's a day in the life of a believer who has been swept up into the eternal plan of God. And this shows us how amazing God is. Transcending time, creating time, working in time, all for the good of His people and for the glory of His name. And it also should show us how sacred time is. You know, in the uh, Old Testament, they would bring the, the gift to the altar. We read about it in the Gospels. They would bring the gift to the altar, and the value wasn't in the gift the value was in the altar it was placed on. And so today we take time that seems so insignificant and, and what we do with our day, such a matter of chance, and we want to sit it uh, and place it upon the altar of the eternal truth of God and see the sacredness and the value of time. But not only does Ephesians tell us what God has done for us before time, but it tells us what God has done for us in time. And you read down in verse 7, it says that we have been redeemed, uh, and whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of God's grace. And so I want to talk to you briefly about what God did in time to carry out his plan. He actually sent his son, pre appointed, the Lamb of God, foreordained before the foundation of the world, yet in time manifested to come and be incarnate and tabernacle among us. The God man, two natures in one person, came here to accomplish the purpose 
purpose of God. He lived a perfect life. He kept the law of God in every point. And at the end of that perfect, sinless existence, he went to the cross and died to carry out the plan of God. God actually carried out the plan of redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. The cross, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ to the right hand of God, accomplishing our redemption, our reconciliation, and then God did something else in time. God sent the Holy Spirit to enlighten us so that according to verse uh, 7, redeemed through His blood and the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, whereby He has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Look at verse 9. Having made known... So God sent the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, to enlighten us according to his plan of redemption, so that we might do what? So that we might trust in Christ for the salvation of our souls. So that we might trust him, that we might know him, that we might place our trust in him. Look at verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. So he sent Christ to redeem us. He sent the Holy Spirit to enlighten us and bring us to a place where we put our trust in Jesus Christ. And as consequence of that, today we undeserving, ill-deserving, hell-deserving sinners, we have some amazing things. We have the forgiveness of our sins, verse 7, And notice it says the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Now imagine if somebody said, well, well, somebody's going to buy you a car. It might be an old jalopy. It might be an old piece of junk. But if somebody says of this super rich billionaire, he's going to buy you a car according to his riches. It's going to be a nice car, isn't it? And when the Bible says that God forgives us, gives us forgiveness according to the riches of His grace. Something that magnifies His grace. Something that shows how rich He is. How wonderful is that forgiveness? God's forgiveness is not some little thing for for little sins. God's forgiveness is vast and amazing. God's forgiveness, the Bible says, I will abundantly pardon. God has forgiven in such a way as to magnify His name. You say, well, Kevin, I've been such a sinner. I've committed such vile sins. Then won't God be glorious when He forgives it all? For Christ's name and for Christ's sake. So we have forgiveness according to His riches. We have inclusion in the body of Christ. And the Ephesians letter is a body letter. It's written all about the body of Christ belonging to this body that was a mystery in the Old Testament, but now has been revealed in this dispensation as the place where both Jews and Gentiles are brought together and we are included in the body of Christ. And you say, I feel so cut off from the world around me. You're not cut off from the body of Christ. God has incorporated you into the body of Christ. And then also we read in verse 13 and 14, still in chapter 1, we read about in whom we, after you trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with the spirit of promise. This is what God's done for us in time. He sent His Son to die for us. He opened our eyes. He brought us to Christ. We we were forgiven of our sins. We were included in the body of Christ. And we are sealed with the Spirit of God. The moment that you, a broken, unworthy sinner, 
who wouldn't be accepted in some places in the world, yet God accepted us in his family. And he not only baptized us into the body by his spirit, but he sealed us by the spirit of God. And you say, Kevin, I'm not sure I can hang in there and stick with it. Well, God's going to ensure that you hang in there and stick with it because the moment he saves you, he sealed you with the spirit of God. I remember when I was a kid, you know, my grandparents, they would can and all this stuff. And I remember they would seal that jar. What did the seal do? It kept out the bad and it kept in the good. And God's put the seal of the Holy Spirit to make sure that you are preserved by His grace. What a wonderful plan we've been caught up in. Amen. What a wonderful thing that God has done for us before time. What a wonderful thing God has done for us in time. And he's given us a heavenly calling. Look at verse 18, chapter 1, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. God's given us hope. Do you know how many people right now are living in the world without hope? And God has given us hope. What is hope? It's faith exercised toward the future. God's given us something to believe in. God's given us something good to believe in. There's so many people that are hopeless today, and God has given us the hope of his calling. I heard about a, a police officer one time. He, he goes to someone who's about to jump off of the bridge, and, and he says, you know, please let me talk you off of this. What's going on? The guy's like, I'm without hope. And he said, well, life's full of hope. He said, I'll tell you what, let's sit down. And, and talk for five minutes. You tell me all the reasons that you think we should be hopeless, and then I'll tell you all the reasons we should be hopeful. And after 10 minutes, they both jumped because the arguments for hopelessness won out. And for many people in our day and time, the argument for hopelessness is winning out. And into this hopeless, desperate situation comes the Word of God. And for those who believe, God has given us the hope of his calling, a life of living for God, uh, a life of, of the continual mercy of God being new every morning, and that someday when this life is over, the hope of eternal glory, the hope of the second coming of Christ, we have a life that is richly laden with hope. And then verse 19 and 20 says we have resurrection power. If you look in verse 19 and 20, it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead? It is the power of the resurrection that is involved in our conversion. It is the power of the resurrection involved in the creation and growth of the church. And it is a power that is available to us today. The resurrection power of Christ. We feel defeated by the world. We feel weak in the face of all these power structures. We feel overwhelmed by the evil in the world around us. And yet God tells us that if we open our heart to him fully, we have resurrection power available to us. Now, I want to end this point with this. God having done all of this for time, for us in time, how much should we devote our time to him? God having done so much for us before time began, God having done so much for us now in time, how we should use our time for His glory. But there's the third thing. What we've done with our time in the past that should motivate us now to use our time for the glory of God. And I want to talk about what we did with our time before we knew the Lord. Look at chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 1 through 3. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. 
That's how we used our time. Like dead men and women. Like dead people in our trespasses and sins. Magnifying our sins. Enjoying our sins. Unwilling to part with our sins. And then notice what it says. It says in verse 2, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world. That's how we use that. Walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power there. Satan controlled. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom we also had our conversation in time past. Notice the word time past. The lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's what we were. That's how we used our time. We walked according to the course of this world. We just molded ourselves after the world. Whatever the world said, that's our marching orders. Whatever was most popular, that's what we went for. Whatever got the most likes, that's what we believed. Just like people today. Whatever's popular on TikTok, that's what I'm going to base my life on. Walking according to the course of this world. Influenced by this world. Being tossed to and fro. Going with the flow. That's how we lived our life, completely pointless, aimless, meaningless, weak-minded, tossed to and fro by every crazy idea that came along. Controlled by Satan, children of wrath, we hurt others and we called it love. We hurt ourselves and we called it fun. We enslaved ourselves and we called it freedom. We lived like fools and we thought we were wise. And that pretty much summarizes my life before I met Christ. And it summarizes your life. And the Bible tells us now as believers, the time past of your life should suffice to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. In other words, that verse in the Bible says enough. You've devoted enough time to the world. Now devote your time to God. You were lost. You live like a lost person. Now you're saved. Start living like a saved person. You've done enough for Satan. You've done enough for yourself. You sold your wild oats. And you got a sorry harvest. And now it's time to devote your time to Jesus Christ, to magnifying His name. So what God did for us before time, what God's done for us in time, how we used our time, And then how we use our time since becoming Christians. That's also humbling if you really stop and honestly think about it. Most of us have many things since we were converted to be ashamed of. We've done very little for the kingdom of Christ. We've done very little to really sacrifice. We talk about it. We sing about it. We sing, I'll follow you anywhere, but we haven't followed him anywhere. We sing that we'll count the cost. We talk bravely about surrender, and we haven't surrendered. Many of us have many things to be ashamed of. And I want to tell you, the Ephesians to whom Paul wrote didn't have it all together either. A lot of people act like the moment you're saved, oh, your your sin problem's over. If you still have a problem with sin, you probably weren't really saved. And I don't find that in the Word of God. Because Christians, did you know that if Christians, by the virtue of being saved, all of a sudden had everything together, then all the epistles wouldn't have even needed to have been written? Because Paul was writing those epistles to a bunch of believers who had made a mess of their life as believers. 
And you can see that by how he addressed them and then how he instructed them. Let me talk to you about how he addressed them. He called them saints, beloved, quickened, saved, called. All these things descriptive of true believers. But then you look at how he instructs them. And he says in chapter 4, verse 14, Be no more children. In other words, you're acting like a bunch of children, playing with a bunch of toys. Stop being like children. That's a relevant instruction even to save people. Stop living like children. And then he instructed them further in chapter 4, verse 17. He said, don't be like other Gentiles. Why would he have said that if they weren't kind of acting that way? And if you're honest, since you've been saved, in some ways you've acted sort of like an unbeliever. And you've acted sort of like a child playing with the latest gadget. And then he instructs them even further. And he says, put off the old man. Chapter 4, verse 22. Did you know the old man is still alive? In you? And you have to put the old man off every day. Some people act like we come to this point in our Christian life where if if we're really saved, we're going to get to this point in our Christian life where it's just going to be the natural thing for us to just always do good. Always do good. And if you do anything bad, you weren't really saved. And the point is, the old man's still alive and well. And if you don't take that serious then let he that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. The old man's still alive and well. Paul writes to the Ephesians, says, put off the old man, put on the new man. True sanctification is not that we finally kill off the old man. True sanctification is that we live out of the power of the Spirit and every day mortify the deeds of the flesh, put off the old man, and put on the new man. And that's what Paul wrote to the Ephesians. And then he said in chapter 4, verse 25, stop lying. You ever known a dishonest Christian? You ever been a dishonest Christian? And he says in verse 27, stop stealing. And this is a a word for Christ. Stop stealing. Stop taking stuff from the office that don't belong to you and bring it home. Stop stealing from your workplace. Are Christians capable of that? Paul thought they were. And he said, stop it. I want to give you a wonderful teach. Oh, another thing that he said in verse 14 that we started with this morning. He said, wake from sleep and rise from the dead. He's dealing with a bunch of sleepy Christians. And they weren't spiritually dead, but they were so asleep they were something close to dead. And Paul's like, you're alive in Christ. Start living like it. Get up. Wake up. Wake up to the need of the world around you. Wake up to the high calling you have in Christ. Wake up to the privilege. Wake up to the power available to you. Arise from the dead. Stop living like the Gentiles. Stop living like dead people. This is to Christians. Now, I want to point out to you, to me this is the, of, of utmost importance, the Pauline method of sanctification, the Pauline method of Christian living. And here it is. Paul would take believers, sometimes weak, struggling, sinful believers, and here's what he would say. Now, this is a very important concept because how many books in the New Testament did Paul write? Like 13 of the New Testament books. That's like half of the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. So his methodology is very important to us in understanding the New Testament. And here's what he would do. He would take these weak, struggling, sometimes shamefully sinful Christians, like the Corinthians, 
some of the people in the Ephesus church, and he would say, here is your position in Christ. You're, you're, you are saints of God. You are redeemed. You are saved. You are beloved. Look at what a wonderful position you have in Christ. And then he would point out their condition. See, there's a difference between your position in Christ, sit, walk, stand. You're seated in Christ in heavenly places. In God's sight, you're perfectly righteous. But then your condition may not be everything it should be. And Paul would write to them along those lines. He would say, you're saints, you're beloved, you're quickened, you're saved. You're called. Now, why are you living like this? And he would point out their sins. And he would say, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that you were chosen in Him from the foundation of the world? Don't you know you were everlastingly loved? Don't you know right now in God's sight and in God's esteem, you're perfectly righteous. So why are you living like the world? And he would say, let's get your condition up here more in line. You'll never get it perfect. But that condition needs to move up. And the motivation is your position. And that's the Pauline methodology of dealing with people. And we ought to follow that because there's a psychology involved in our Christian growth. And God created us and knows best the human psyche. And we should follow God's method toward helping young believers struggling believers and today we've reversed it and here's what we've done instead of following the pauline method and saying look at your position in christ it's glorious it's wonderful and then look at your sad condition and pull that up let's let's get that instead of doing that we say look at your condition there's no way you've got a position in christ and you can't really know you have a position until we get your condition straightened out and you know what that is that's defeating that's destructive that's false, that's harmful, that's fruitless. Why? Because there's a psychology involved. God created us complex beings, and as long as we think we have no standing with God, we have no power, we have no motivation to truly live a life glorifying to God. And only as we see that in spite of who we are, in spite of our failures and our weakness, and all the things we have to be ashamed of. That God calls me righteous. God loves me. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. When you read the Corinthian letter, you read about these people, and you almost, when you read Paul call them a temple of the Holy Spirit after some of the things he said they've been doing, you'd be shocked. You're like, Paul, you sure about that? You sure they're a temple of the Holy Spirit? Now, with that in mind, that position, condition... Let me ask you this, in light of all God's done for you, me, you, undeserving, ill-deserving, hell-deserving sinners, in light of all this God's done for us, have you made good use of the time that he's given you on this earth? Are you more like Christ today than you were a year ago? If not, why not? You're not tapping into and seeking the power, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. You know the cross, you've been to the cross, you need to come to the empty tomb and, and understand more about the resurrection power of Christ. Have you won anybody to the Lord? Are you sharing your faith? Are you sharing your testimony? Have you made a difference in the world around you? Are you using your talents in the church? Look at all God's done for you. 
Look at the position you have in Christ. And then the second thing I want to ask you is, what do you need to do now? To change course. And to say, you know, my time in life is short. And I want to glorify Christ. Now, there's a a couple more things. I'm going to go through these quickly. But they're very important. So what God did for us before time, what God's done for us in time, how we used our time. And now the fourth thing is this, or maybe it's the fifth, I'm not sure. The blessing of our times. The blessing of our times, the times in which we live. Dispensationally speaking about the times and the errors, the dispensations, we live in the greatest time in history to this point. Salvation has always been by grace through faith all throughout the Bible. It's been by grace through faith. But now unto us upon whom the ends of the world have come, It is clearly revealed, more clearly than anybody before this era. The mystery of the church has been revealed. You say, what do you mean the mystery of the church? Paul calls it a mystery that wasn't known in the Old Testament. The church as the idea of the body of believers made up of both Jews and Gentiles is a mystery that has only been revealed to us in our era, in our dispensation. The fullness of the Spirit has been granted. You look in the Old Testament. They didn't have the same indwelling power. Uh, They had the Spirit of God come upon them periodically for service. But we have the fullness of the Spirit. We have the Word of God completed. We have seen the entire full plan of God in the cross, the resurrection, the ascension. And the way and access to God is more open to us than it was to those in the Old Testament. And that's simply the truth of the Word of God. The veil has been taken away, and we now have open, free, clear access in a way others didn't. We have more promises from God, and I I can't point to specific, I could, I don't have time, in Ephesians. Read the letter to Ephesians. And Paul's all about this time where the mystery's been revealed, the fullness of the Spirit, the greatness of the body of Christ as being made up of Jews and Gentiles. We are living in an exciting, great time. We read in the Old Testament about Noah and Abraham and David. We read about the heroes of the faith, and yet we have more access and light than they did. They had to come, bring their sacrifices, go through all the rituals just to get even anywhere close to God. The priest had to go in for them into the Holy of Holies. They couldn't go. The priest could only go once a year. And we have access through the rent veil of the flesh of Christ. Comparatively speaking, they were in the dark and we are children of light. And that's biblical. Old Testament believers, while they were in the light compared to people around them, the Gentile nations, yet comparatively to us today, they were children of darkness, we are children of light with more promises, more access, more power. The greatest dispensation and what should we do now? Because you know what? I have a feeling we're not often impacting the world around us. We're not seeking to do great things for God. We're not walking with God in the power of the Spirit. But what should we do? And then last of all, not only the blessing of our times, but the brevity of time. And that brings us back to our verse. Redeeming. It took us a long time to get back around here, didn't it? But back to chapter 5, verse 16. Redeeming the time... Because the days 
are evil. So many people are using their time against God. So many of us have used our times in the past against God. It is time now for every serious-minded child of God to start redeeming the time because the days are evil. Here's some practical things. One, walk circumspectly. Actually, it says that in chapter 5, if you look back there with me to the verses that we started with and look at verse... 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. We need to walk circumspectly. We need not be careless. We need to think about and be serious and intentional about our walk with God. Secondly, we need to read the word of God. Look at verse 17. It says, wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. How do you understand what the will of the Lord is? Starts with reading the word of God. We need to read the Bible. You can't know the will of God if you don't read the Word of God. And if you don't know the will of God, you can't do the will of God. And that explains a lot of it, a lot of our problem. We're like, man, why am I not experiencing any victory in my life? Why am I not seeing God accomplish His purpose in my life? Often we're not doing the will of God because we don't read the Word of God. And I loved Lewis's emphasis this morning, and I know this church is one that takes Bible study seriously, and that's a great thing. Because if we're going to redeem the time, we have to know the Word of God. And you know, it only takes 72 hours to read the entire Bible. Did you ever, ever think about that? You say, no way. Yeah, you know, yes. Because I used to buy back in the old days CDs. You know, the Bible on CD, I didn't have a fancy app. I went and bought the CDs, carried them around a little case, had my old CD player in my truck. 72 hours of recordings. Before that, I had the cassettes. You know how I learned the Bible? Riding back and forth to the briar plant every morning, 35-minute drive. I would listen to several chapters of the Bible on the way to work. I would listen to several chapters. Alexander Scorby, Bible on cassette, 72 hours, changed my life. You know, people used to carry pocket Bibles in their pocket. Now they carry this piece of junk. We carry this piece of junk. And I got a Bible app on my phone, but you know what? When I pick it up and go, oh, I need to go read the Bible, I got some text. I've got some right now. Got some text. I need to read those texts. Got some emails. Got some other notifications on different apps. I need to check all that out. And an hour passed, you're like, oh, I'll read the Bible later. Somebody said, how do you learn the Bible? How do you get time? I work. I have family. I read somebody put it this way one time. Take advantage of the minutes because the hours, hours will never come. You've got to take advantage of the minutes, read the Word of God, carry a pocket Bible, get serious about studying the Word of God. We have to read the Bible. We need to be redeeming our time by worshiping and thanking and praising God. And you can read the rest of chapter 5 and see that printed all over this. We need to be singing psalms and hymns, worshiping God. You know, you think about all we have to be thankful to God for. You know what's going to require? A lot of time. It's going to take a lot of time to count all those blessings you got. You better get started, and every single day needs to be a day. The best way to keep up with thanking God for everything you got is just to do it every single day. We need to worship God. We need to be encouraging others, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns. Number five, we need to avoid things that grieve or quench the Spirit. Because you know what? I need Holy Spirit power if my time is going to count. If I'm going to live a life that impacts people around me, I need the Spirit of God so I don't need to be quenching and grieving the Spirit. And that's why the Bible tells us here, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. We need to spend time with our family. Another thing Lewis talked about, 
leading our families in the Word of God. We need to do that. You know, especially to young parents, I want to say a word to you. My son's now 23 years old. Thank God he loves the Lord, loves me and his mom. But I want to say this morning that right now while your kids are young, you've got an opportunity. You better redeem the time. They may grow up and think you've lost your mind. They'll never listen to you again. But right now they will. Right now you still got your bluff in. You better use that opportunity and influence them in the things of God and help shape that young mind in the things of God. We must redeem the time by providing love and guidance to our family. Deuteronomy chapter 6 gives us the outline in verses 4 through 6 that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. And we're to talk to our kids about these things as we walk in the way, as we rise in the morning, as we lie down at night, redeeming the time. Because I want to tell you, when it comes to your kids, the days are evil. The days are evil. And we have to redeem the time. Then last of all, engage the enemy in battle. And you read the rest of chapter 5, the first part of chapter 6. Paul talks about engaging the enemy in battle, putting on the armor, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. There are people out there who do not know Jesus Christ. You're to be engaging in evangelism. And then he says we're to also be praying with all prayer. We're basically armoring ourselves up to go into the prayer battle and we're to be praying and seeking change in the world around us through the power of God, through the means of prayer because we have open, free access in a way that nobody else ever has and we're to engage the enemy in battle. Now, in closing, the words you've been waiting for all morning, in closing, if you are, like many of us have been at times in our life, a failing Christian, a failing Christian. It is possible that a Christian can be a failing Christian. So many, so many spiritual physicians have one diagnosis for that. You know what that diagnosis is? Get saved because you're lost. If I went to a doctor who gave one diagnosis for every spiritual condition, it, it'd be malpractice. If you're a failing Christian and you have not been living your life, does not seeing, if you've not been living your life for the glory of God, does not seeing what all God's done for you cause you to, to want to use your time and start serving God and give up on this fruitless thing of chasing the world? Then here's the advice for failing Christians. There is hope for restoration. God will give you back the years the locusts have eaten. God will give you beauty for ashes. God will restore you. But you need to confess your sins and honestly agree with God that your life has been out of step with God. You need to confess your sins. If you're going to make a difference in the world around you, you need to pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit and you need to ask guidance. You need to start seeking God's guidance every day and say, God, I want my life to count for you. I've done enough destructive. I want to do something constructive. And now, to anyone here this morning who may not know Christ, I read two quotes recently, and I really thought they were good. One of them kind of applies to Christians, but it said everybody needs three people. Somebody to follow, sort of a mentor, somebody who's teaching you, somebody who's leading you. Everybody needs that. Everybody needs somebody not only to follow, but somebody to walk beside, an intimate companion, whether it's a spouse or a best friend or 
family member, somebody that you're simpatico with, somebody that you can bounce ideas off. Everybody needs somebody to follow, everybody to walk beside, and somebody to lead. Because no matter who you are, if you're a Christian, there's somebody who knows less about Jesus than you do, and you can take that person and help bring them up to spiritual knowledge. But the other quote was this, that everybody needs, this is for the lost, everybody needs a good home to go to when they die after a hard day's work. And that was the quote. Everybody needs a good home to go to after a hard day's work. And I want to talk about the home you go to when this life is over. Because the home you got here, it's fading fast. You're spending all this time working so hard, trying to lay up treasures in the earth, trying to build your earthly home. This home is fading more quickly than you can imagine. Do you have anywhere to go? Do you have a good home to go to? Jesus Christ, by his perfect life, his atoning death, all the work that he did has done everything required, has provided a good home to go to after a hard day's work, after a hard life. A good home, fully paid for by the grace of God. But you have to see the seriousness of life and death. You have to see that you're a sinner that don't deserve and that you could never work your way into heaven. You could never. How would we dare put a price on it? You could never work your way into heaven, but Christ has done all the work that is necessary. The Bible says we have to accept the sufficiency of His death as the payment for our sins. It's really that simple. Believe and trust Christ. Give up on the human way of salvation, which is works, and embrace the plan of a divine substitute where Jesus Christ took our place. He died on the cross. And you trust in the infinite value of the death of Christ and your home is paid for and your way is paid for. Your ticket is punched by the grace of God. You have to leave your self-trust and trust in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you'll do so today. If you're a child of God, you've wandered away from God, confess to God, you say, well, I'm going to wait till I get home. There's many a slip twixt a cup and a lip. Good plans often fall by the wayside. You need to right now turn to God, confess your sins, pray for his help. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you so much for this time together in this place, studying your word. God, I just am am amazed at the epistle to the Ephesians and so thankful you blessed us with this wonderful knowledge of the church, this wonderful knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ, and and all that went into the design and building and planning of the church and how you've included us in that plan, God. And Lord, I know in many ways I've fallen short of your glory, and I pray this morning you would put a fire in my heart to redeem the time because the days are evil. I pray for every young family here, God, that you you would get the parents to see the necessity of redeeming the time because the days are so evil. Father, I pray that you would help us to truly love you and serve you. And I thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new every morning. And just because we weren't what we should have been yesterday doesn't mean that you're done with us, Lord, but you have a great plan for us. And we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you this morning. Thank you so much. Uh, I don't know how y'all usually end the service, but uh, God bless you. Thank you.